Hey everybody, welcome to episode 60 of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. My name is Kieran, and I have been metal detecting now for nearly 30 years. This week, by listener request, I want to discuss ring recovery or jewellery recovery services and how it generally works and what pitfalls to look out for. So let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, before we start, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast this week and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to support the show, there are many options available from the links in the episode notes below. And if you want to interact with me and the show, that information's in there too. But most importantly, if you like this content, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Hey everyone, I hope your week has been great and you got down to some happy hunting. My updates include nothing major in the personal detecting front, same as last week, nothing major, but just glad to be lunging about in the spring sunshine. I have been in communication with C-Scope on the terrible situation they have found themselves in. If you're not familiar, they did a preliminary release of the C-Scope Evo 6000 to a few high-profile and technical users, and the initial reviews were not good, as performance seems to be below expectations. Now, most manufacturers would have driven on with the release and fixed the performance issue via a software update later, and we have all seen this happen from several manufacturers before, but C-Scope took the brave decision to issue a recall of all released machines and are in the process of troubleshooting the issue with a plan to release at a later date. I have to say, this brave move directly correlates to C-Scope's attitude to quality. And they should be commended and lauded for this, and I for one am super excited for the release of the Evo 6000, and I hope the issue turns out to be something small and an easy fix. But onwards and upwards, C-Scope, I believe in you. You can do it! So this week's topic of choice has come directly from a call out a few weeks ago for topics to discuss, and once I saw it, I was like, of course, why didn't I think of this one myself? It also corresponds to around the time of Dirtfish Mish's video where she found an old junker ring in a local park that happened to have been dropped by her sister a good few years earlier. Make sure to check out the video, but it highlights that the more sentimental a target is, the more people are willing to engage in your services in the hope of finding it, no matter how crap it is. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass two years. But why do we do it? Why do detectorists offer the service? Well, I believe there are several reasons. One, in the hope of getting paid. Two, just to do some good for your fellow man. Three, it's all about the thrill of the hunt for you. You don't care what you're hunting for as long as there are targets under the coil. Then you're a happy detectorist. Four, in the hope of getting a bigger permission. And finally, five, content, particularly YouTube content. I actually think it's a little bit of all of them, except the content piece maybe. Sometimes you just want to help someone out, and if this leads to something bigger, then that's a bonus. But some people do do it as a side business to help offset some costs of the hobby, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, I want to outline some important things to consider when engaging in a loss recovery. So, the first thing I consider is how accurate is the victim's recollection of where they lost it, and even more importantly, how much time has passed since the target was lost. The accuracy of the drop zone is super time sensitive as the passage of time will affect the victim's recollection and size of the drop zone. So considering the drop zone or where does the victim believe to drop the target, 
where the drop zone is or what type of terrain can have a drastic effect on the odds of whether it can be found or not. For example, if you're hunting in a back garden, the likelihood is strong that you will recover the find as this is a contained environment with very little changing over time. Most back gardens have a defined border, so when someone says they dropped it in the back garden, then there is a strong likelihood it is in the back garden, and you do not need to consider how accurate the victim's recollection is of where they dropped the target. This of course depends on the size of the garden. However, with gardens, consideration needs to be given to your recovery technique. You don't want to leave the garden in worse condition than a hormonal teenager's face with more craters than the surface of the moon. They won't thank you for recovering the target when the garden is like Swiss cheese. So be surgical in the recovery. It all helps with the overall experience. However, change the drop zone to a beach and it's a different ball game altogether. You need to consider tides, shifting sands due to winds, but most importantly, where does the victim believe they dropped the target? Nine times out of ten, this will not be accurate, or at least as accurate as you want, and will get less accurate with the passing of time since it dropped. I believe the best you can do on a beach is identify where they sat, picnicked or swam, and work back to where they parked or entered the beach, taking the path most travelled. Still a highly unlikely recovery, but somewhat better than a river. If the drop zone happens to be in a river, you have all the same beach issues to contend with, but with the added complication of the river current, which can push the target out of the drop zone very quickly. The only hope is that the actual riverbed is made up of large rocks where the target can be snagged, as opposed to fine gravel which can result in the target rolling down the riverbed powered by the current. The best course of action is to enter the river where the victim did and work your way up the river to where they got out and hope they weren't tubing for miles as this will be a waste of your time unless they wanted to pay you an hourly rate or the target was worth tens of thousands of dollars or of huge significant sentimental value which is entirely possible. Some people have taken this to another level setting themselves up as a recovery business charging a call out rate whether the find is found or not. Irrespective of if you want to charge or your motivations are more altruistic, there are several ways to do this effectively, but it is essentially an advertising exercise. For example, if you only want to focus on local coverage, it's best to purchase ads in local classifieds, put up flyers in local shops, or print business cards, leaving them in coffee shops, etc. This is the old school way of doing things, but my suggestion would be to set up a simple website with a top level domain positioned for local coverage. For example, ringfindersmiami.com. You can also register this business on Google Maps, allowing people to find you when they specify the location as needed. If you want to go big time and focus on national coverage, you can of course do all the same steps for local coverage but most countries will have a register for you to register with, allowing potential victims to have somewhere to search for help when they need it from someone who is local and close by. But, of course, recovery is not always about emergency callouts. There is the everyday fact that at times we will find some pieces of jewellery, many of which have some identifiable information on them, such as a class ring number, not too popular in Europe, but widespread across the States, and can be returned to the owner by looking up the class ring database or via manufacturer's information to help source the owner. Other information that can be inscribed include names and dates of weddings or engagements, 
which can be looked up and correlated in the National Births, Deaths and Marriages databases of whatever country you find yourself in. However, using the inscription almost like a secret password, you can post a pic on social media giving the location of where you found it, but keep the inscription to yourself requesting the potential claimants to repeat the inscription to you before you part company with the find. Now, it is a general rule of thumb that you should make an effort to return an easily identifiable item to its owner. However, most countries transfer the ownership of the item after 365 days of no claim from the finder. Just a word of warning, time is also of an essence here in this situation, and I'm talking from experience, and a mistake I made myself. I found a wedding band with initials and a date inscribed inside, and I was delighted. It's always nice to pick up a ring. Now, this was in the early days of social media, so sticking up a pick was not an option. The only option at the time was to stick a card in a local shop beside where I found a ring. However, I decided that I would do this the next time I was at that particular spot. However, this spot was a few hours drive away and I never got back to put up the card in the shop window. And to be honest, I can't remember which of the two beaches I hunted that day did I find it on. I still have the ring and when I'm rolling around in all my jewels like smog from The Hobbit, I do get a pang of guilt when I see it. Maybe it's not too late for me to find the owner. Before we wrap up, some advice if you do happen to be on the other side of the coin and do lose something. Remember, time is of the essence. Fix your location clearly in your head. Write it down if you can because the minute you walk away, you will never find that exact spot again, making it harder to recover that special junk ring. That's it for this week. I hope you liked this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. Check out our website, www.themetaldetectingshow.com for this episode's show notes. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help the podcast stay alive or just want to buy me a coffee. Actually, if you want to buy me a coffee, you can do so now at buymeacoffee.com forward slash metaldetecting. If you'd like to leave me a voicemail, please do so on speakpipe.com forward slash the metal detecting show. The link will be in the show notes. And if you feel like taking your appreciation to the next level, feel free to leave me a positive review on any podcast directory of your choice. If you like this content and would like more, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Once again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We will chat to you all again next week. Get out there, eyes down and happy hunting.